are Locked On Big 12, your daily podcast on the Big 12 Conference, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody. Josh Neighbors here for a Monday edition of the Locked On Big 12 Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use that promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Today, Corporate Kozlak and I recap the weekend of college hoops, especially in the Big 12 Conference. Four huge games to get to, and none bigger than OU's win in double overtime over West Virginia on the road in Morgantown. We'll get to that and more on today's show. Hello, everybody. Locked on a Big 12 podcast here on this Monday, February 15th, 2021. Joining me on the show today, it is Corbett Koslak to break down the weekend of Big 12 basketball, but also Corbett. You know, what's interesting is on Saturday, we got the committee, the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee, gave us basically their their version of the um, of like the college football playoff selection, you know, stuff, whatever it is, you know, their playoff rankings. And what's really odd is that, you know, yeah, college football, it, you know, it only happens on two days, three days a week, whatever it is, you know, usually on uh, Friday night, Thursday night, and Saturday night. But for some reason... The selection committee, um, you know, in, in basketball, they don't have that luxury, but they can still do it on like a Monday, but they've decided to do it on a Saturday right before the busiest slate is. I mean, could you imagine the college football playoff committee releasing their rankings at Saturday at like 1130 before all the games are going to happen and change their rankings? I think that would actually be an excellent idea for uh, No, it would not. Football. Not for ratings. Um, well, I think it would create – I think it would be fun – not for people that are creating graphics for games and stuff like that, but as far as college basketball, there really is no good time. Probably Friday night is the best time, but nobody does anything on TV. On I Friday would go night. with Monday night. I would just go with Monday night and just well, say, you got hey, a look. bunch of top teams playing on Monday nights. So like, yeah, but I was, I think, I think it's, it's the day that the AP rankings come out anyway. So you might as well just do it on a Monday night. I just, my thought process is that the, the, the lowest quantity, lowest volume of, of, games involving top teams happens on Friday evening, especially on a normal season when the Ivy League is the only league playing on Friday nights. Um, but, you know, Friday nights where TV goes to die, so they'd never do it on Friday. But Or Sunday night. Sunday night's time uh, you can do it as well. Yeah, Sunday night would make a lot of sense. Um, but, you know, we can cover college football later on, but that's a great idea for college football to do it before. Like, you can do it Saturday and then Tuesday. Um, but anyway, right. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, there's, like, no great time to do it. I don't know if, like, well, all the other pregame shows are going on because, you know, they're about to start the games is a great idea. But, I mean, it doesn't really matter. It's the NCAA tournament. Like, this was a, what this is the second or third year they've been doing this. I mean, Joel Lennart has been telling people how it is for a decade, two decades now. So, I don't think people care all that much about, you know, the initial top four at least, especially when, you know, a team on your list has lost two games in the last week and, you know, other teams are falling as well. Yeah, and so let's take a look at it. You know, right now, Gonzaga and Baylor are their top, are the top two seeds. Michigan's and, and Ohio State are next, which is really interesting that that rivalry uh, is being renewed. We can get in basketball, but this year in football, it's, it's pretty heated. And look, those two teams this weekend reaffirm their spots, in my opinion. Michigan goes on a long break and then goes out yesterday and beats Wisconsin. And then Ohio State beats Indiana. So I thought those two teams definitely reaffirmed. And look, do I think two Big Ten teams are going to get those nods? Probably, probably not. But is there a chance that well, we have two Big Ten teams as number one seeds? Yeah, there's a really good chance. I, we I, well, I think first of all, 
I think the chances that we get two Big Ten teams as the three and the four are actually kind of high for multiple reasons. One, well, you throw effect, Illinois in there. Actually, actually, you're right. You throw Illinois well, in there. If and, you throw and, Illinois in there, and the fact that Villanova just lost, mm-hmm. uh, and the fact that Alabama's not actually very good, they're just very good at making three point shots and, and winning shootouts. Um, and then you go down the list. Houston lost to Eastern Carolina. That pretty much eliminates them from being a one seed. Um, Virginia, the, there's not going to be enough signature wins in the ACC for Virginia to get a one seed. Um, and then West Virginia, I guess they could go on a run and, and make a run maybe at the end of the season. Probably not, though, because they I mean, they just are coming off a loss at home. Uh, so I think you, I mean it's going to be two of Ohio State, Michigan, Illinois. And this year, uh, having those other one seeds, more important than they've, and it's ever been in the past because uh, the odds of you have a two seed, you're going to have to beat Baylor and Gonzaga at some point if you end up in one of their regions. Um, just to get out of there, you're going to have to beat Baylor or Gonzaga if you're Illinois at this point. Um, so uh, that would not be fun. Ohio State and Michigan look like two teams that I don't know that they can beat Gonzaga, but I think they can keep it close with Baylor and then hope, you know, something works out in their favor. I don't remember having a, a, a tournament. We talked about this, you know, numerous times. This has been the theme of the entire college basketball season um, where there have been not just one team, but two teams that just seem to be head and shoulders better than everybody else. Um, and that seems to be what we have. But Ohio State looked excellent on Saturday. Michigan came back from down. Michigan took all of, you know, 20 minutes of basketball to get over their COVID layoff and, and went and outscored uh, Wisconsin by 22 to end the game from down right. 14 with one minute to go uh, in the first half to winning by eight. They just completely dominated um, that entire game. So, or that entire second half and that, you know, and they, they won, they, they have so much length. It's, it's fun. Illinois has maybe everyone's, you know, favorite player to watch in the entire country and, and Iota Sumu and, and Kofi Coburn. So, Three fun Big Ten teams. I don't know how particularly good they are as far as, like, the grand scheme of things. Right, but right. Three very fun teams. And then, I mean, that's on top of a, of a stacked uh, Big Ten conference. The worst team, Nebraska, got their first conference win in however long well, yesterday. They almost, so. And they almost beat Illinois the other night, right? They, 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 yeah. the, the worst team in the conference, Nebraska, took Illinois. To, well, Illinois got it to overtime Boy against them. Yeah. And, and so Illinois got it to overtime against them. Uh, but it's it's fascinating how good the Big Ten is. It's something that we mentioned this, on this show. Right, but, you know, you mentioned how good Baylor and Gonzaga are, and we talked about that in football too, right, how good Clemson and, and Alabama were. But in the end, we did get Clemson – or we did get Ohio State versus Alabama. So maybe one of those teams could be your Ohio State per se, right, and kind of, you know – not a team that comes out of nowhere, but still a team that does surprise us and uh, make it to that final uh, championship game. Yeah, and college football is a little different because, you know, you usually get chalk more often in college football than you do in college basketball. I mean, we've had what now twice in the last um, however many years, like a seven seed has been has been run. We feel like we have a double-digit seed once every two or three years, make the final four, Syracuse, or Chicago, VCU, George Mason. That's four times in the last 15 years we've had a double-digit seed reach the final four. Um and you think about, I know I saw a betting on, I forget, you know, which book it was through, but uh, as of like two weeks ago, you could bet Baylor or Gonzaga to win the title at like plus 170 and then the field at minus 200. So people, I mean, the field obviously still a favorite. Uh, anytime you have to win six games in a row, um, you know, it, you can, you can, you, you never know what's going to happen. Teams get hot, but teams also get hot that you never saw getting hot. Kimber Walker was on a team that was going to be a seven seed going into the Big East tournament. They end up a three seed, run the table, you know, and obviously, that's the outlier example everybody uses, but it clearly can't happen um, because it's happened numerous times in the past. So it wouldn't shock me uh, all the way. You know, I think there's, you know, but once you get past those two best teams in the country, you go down all the way to, you know, 14 in, in teams that can compete with the third and fourth best team in the country. So I think we're in for a very fun tournament. 
uh, even if it does have the uh, predicted result at the end of Baylor-Gonzaga. So we have one Big 12 team in the one seeds. Your two seeds, Illinois, Villanova, Alabama, Houston. Your three seeds would be Virginia, West Virginia, Tennessee, and Oklahoma. Your four seeds, Iowa, Texas Tech, Texas, and Missouri. So your Big 12 teams involved, let's go to the top bottom. Uh, Texas Tech and Texas, both four seeds. Three seeds, West Virginia and Oklahoma. And then your one seed is Gonzaga. So, or excuse me, Baylor, rather, being being one of the one seeds. All right, more from my conversation with Corbett in one second. But first, a word from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Football season might be over, but there's still plenty of action available at BetOnline.ag. Guys, you've got the college basketball regular season winding down. The NBA is going. The NHL is going. Uh, baseball is start to, is about to start up. So all that stuff is available to you at BetOnline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at BetOnline and use that promo code LOCKEDON. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, LOCKEDON, for your 50% welcome bonus. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus upon your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Also follow them online at betonline underscore AG on Twitter to take advantage of their bonuses as well. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Also go check out Locked On Today. 20 minutes, all the sports news. You need to know to get going every single day. Check it out wherever you guys get your podcasts. Locked on today is the name. All right, back to my conversation with Corbett Koslack. Let's let's just get into results from this weekend, and let's go to two of those teams that we saw in action. Oklahoma and West Virginia with what is now the game of the season. And, and, I, and I felt like we've had different iterations of the game of the season in the Big 12 Conference, right? You, uh, that, that early West Virginia-Texas Tech game, Felt like it was one of the best games, you know, that you're going to see all season long, right? Um, Texas Tech and Kansas played an early, early contender. It's an ugly game, you know, it was close. And then Texas um, and Texas and Oklahoma State, double overtime. Well, this game delivered on all fronts. Oklahoma goes into Morgantown and they get a win over a red hot West Virginia team, 91 to 90. Austin Reeves nearly has a triple-double in this game. Derek Culver goes for 29 points in 14 rebounds. Um, West Virginia has the ball on the last play. They drop what let's, – I mean, let's be honest. It was a pretty good play for Derek Culver. They drew up in the end. They threw it in on an inbounds pass, and Culver just couldn't make the layup, and it was pretty good defense. I, I forget who was guarding him there. I'm not sure if it was Kirkwath or Brady Manning. I, I didn't see it. I had to go back and look. But, look a good look for one of their best players just doesn't make the shot and a tremendous win for Lon Kruger's group, a win that I think reaffirms how I felt about Oklahoma. And you talked about teams that are dangerous in March. OU is going to be one of them because since January 9th, they've had one of the best defenses in the entire conference. And also they've got four guards who I trust with the basketball towards the end of the game. Umoja Gibson, Elijah Harkless, Davion Harmon, and Austin Reeves. I trust all four of them, and that's credit to Lon Kruger and what this this group has built collectively. So that game on Saturday was a microcosm of a belief that I've you know long held as far as big men um, centering your team around big men. Like that can get you through a regular season. That can get you through a game. You look at Derek Culver at twenty nine and twelve, but at the end of the day, you got to have a guard create a shot at the end of the game, and they and they having Deuce McBride inbound the ball. I think it's one thing if you're inbounding the ball to get the ball back to him, but right. you're inbounding the ball trying to make a play for somebody else. When two seconds ago, Derek Culver tried to drive the lane and lost the ball, 
to take the lead and got blocked um, uh, got blocked another time earlier a little bit earlier in that in that that short short span of time too so you can go for 29 and 12 as a big man and be your best player but at the end of the day I mean, this is kind of goes back to how I felt about all those Dwight Howard Magic teams. Your best player can't be your center and you can't win anything because down the stretch, it's a lot easier to guard a center than to guard a guard who can just take over at any point in the game. Um, I mean, all all credit due to Oklahoma. Yamoja Gibson could not. I mean, he was shooting golf balls into the ocean uh, on Saturday. (laughs) He couldn't miss. Um, Kind of that was kind of I mean, Brady Manick missed a wide open three, which is very uncharacteristic of him in a big spot. Uh, They were I mean. It's that double overtime. They were up nine with like three and a half minutes to go before Sean McNeil like right the ceiling and made that three to make it a three point game, uh, and they ended up coming back and tying it. And then they got an and one to start double overtime. Oklahoma didn't, and they ended up trailing most of double overtime before winning the victory. Before getting the victory, you mentioned you know four guards that you really like uh, being a good a good indicator as far as succeeding in the tournament. That a coach who has taken what four different programs um, or five different programs in the NCAA tournament. Uh, and then as well as, you know, veteran leadership, Austin Reeves has been there forever. Uh, this isn't Harkless's first go around in, in, a, in a college basketball, you know, it's his first time in major college basketball, but he's, but he's right. been there. Yeah. I mean, um, Gibson played three years at, at North Texas and he's yeah, there yeah, now so too. They, so I mean, got... they have transfers. Yeah. Uh, Brady Manick was on, uh, was on, you know, the Trey Young team that went to the NCAA tournament. So they, they, they've, they've had experience uh, in the tournament. Uh, and I think uh, what's different about this Oklahoma team compared to the ones of the past, we mentioned it, you know, time and to ad nauseum on here is about how, how just different their defense is, right? Their defense has been mm-hmm. what they've struggled with all the time. And, and it, 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 it hasn't been that this season. That's kind of been what's keyed them. And then switching over to West Virginia, you mentioned, you know, they were kind of hot. I feel like they haven't been hot all season. They, they had that weird loss to Florida, but then they bounced back and beat Texas tech. And now they have a game at home against a team that's, that's very undersized compared to the big men that, that West Virginia can run out, run out there at you. Uh, and they, they take advantage of it, but they give up a lot of open threes. Oklahoma makes right. shots. They struggle down the stretch. They turn the ball over. Uh, West Virginia, you know, you give them credit, but then uh, two days later they turn around and, and make you uh, not look so great for it. So they've yeah, been I, didn't, I don't necessarily know out. if I felt that way about it. You know, what's, what's interesting is I, I like the fact they crashed the glass well, but it's it's weird to say in a, 90, in a, in a game that was, you know, the losing team scored 90 points. I actually thought OU's defense was pretty good because they held – they held West Virginia to 42% from the floor, which is, I mean, it's not excellent, but 29% from three, seven to 24, and then 11 to 21 from the line. So they did a good job of, you know, of putting the right guys, I guess you could say, at the free throw line. And also, too, like they, they made sure West Virginia did not get the open threes all the time that we're accustomed to seeing them get. Now they did have a problem controlling the offensive glass, and that is part of the comeback for West Virginia in this game. That, that's something that, to look at as you move forward. But you think about this league – there are not many teams at the top that re- rebound at an elite level size-wise the way that, that West Virginia do and Texas do, right? I mean, Texas Tech's a bit undersized. OU's a bit undersized. Baylor, I mean, for as good as they are, let's be honest, they are a bit undersized in the classic sense of, you know, size and having, having big fellas. Uh, Oklahoma State, another team that is undersized. So, you know, for them, they're not going to be a ton of those challenges. That's what I worry about in the tournament is when you're asking Brady Manick and Kirk Wath to guard the bigs of another really good team. That's where maybe I'd start getting concerned. Um, and then also, too, I'm with you on the West Virginia part of this. Like, if you gave Deuce McBride the ball, we might be talking about a different situation where, we you know, we say, well, West Virginia, again, great game plan. They gave the ball to their best player, hell of a comeback, and they got it done. 
but no, it's kind of the other end of it. I don't feel much differently about West Virginia. I think this game is more of a credit to Oklahoma, in my opinion. And the fact that one thing, Corbett, too, we know who their best five is, right? We know that the best five for Oklahoma is Manic, Harmon, Harkless, Gibson, and Reeves. I know they like to play Jalen Hill. I know they'll play Kirkwath as well. And they just got uh, Williams back as well. But their best five, we know who it is. There's no questions about it. And I like that. I like that in mid-February. We know exactly who the five are going to be in crunch time for the Sooners. Oklahoma is one of those teams, you know, I, I like to, you know, before the brackets even out, kind of look at teams that, you know, you might pick to be upset early on in the tournament. Oklahoma is going to be very matchup dependent. I think they can right. make a deep run. I agree. Um, but if they match up, like just thinking back up a couple of years ago, you know, Mike Dom was at South Dakota State. They, you know, they never ended up, you know, making a run in the tournament, but they were in multiple tournament games. It's like if they match up against a guy like Jarrett Culver, against a big man that can control you inside and they don't hit threes um, the way that they have, you know, the last, the last couple of weeks. Uh, they could they could be they could be uh, in tough. When, whereas West Virginia, I think, is going to um, be safe from, from an early round elimination just because they can physically dominate you. Mm-hmm. Um, which teams, you know, th- like those uh, those mid majors don't don't deal with particularly well. Um, but as far as right now, Oklahoma has to feel. I mean, Oklahoma was picked to finish, I think, seventh in the preseason. Yeah, six six or seventh. Yeah, and they're going to make a probably probably end up finishing second the way things look right now. So yeah. Oklahoma just just playing out of their minds right now, especially defensively. Yeah, they're playing out of their minds defensively. They've been, they've been excellent. And, and so uh, now we kind of turn our attention to what happened in the rest of the conference this weekend. And look, let's start with Kansas here. I know it's not the most attractive game of the day, but what I think it's, it's important, Corbett, and you and I talked about this, is that KU now has back-to-back wins, right? Uh, back-to-back wins against the same team mind you, but that is important. This is their third straight victory. It's four in their last five, and they beat a ranked Oklahoma State team, and they got two convincing victories against Iowa State. And look, basketball coaches have said how hard it is to beat a team twice, but that's important because this is a this is an easier run for, uh, for, for Kansas right now. And now they've got Kansas State. They're going to play Texas Tech at home before they have t- uh, another two tough matchups at Texas and Baylor. But They've got this opportunity to rack up wins. They're taking advantage in the stretch. They have a, a chance to make it um, five out of their last six. So in, in from that perspective, they're getting right. Uh, they're getting right at the correct time. And they've their defense, especially in the last couple games, has really turned it up. And Jalen Wilson is back to him old self. 20, 22 points, two rebounds, four assists against Iowa State in their first game or the second game on Saturday in the first game he's pretty good too he's got 16 and 11 so Jalen Wilson right now is on a run where he has had four straight double doubles and is playing excellent basketball Uh, what are your thoughts on the Jayhawks and and their weekend that they had this is like a, a baseball team feeling good about themselves because they swept the Pirates um, I, I disagree with this, but I, 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 first ahead. of all, the a, the cliche that it, it's really tough to beat a team three times, you're really tough to beat a team twice is is exactly that. It in is in two coach, days. It, in two days, it, though, it, it's coach speak. Though it's coach speak. We saw Drake and um, Loyola this weekend play in two separate, two completely different it, basketball games. That that does not mean it's tough to beat a team twice in two different days. That's that that is one, and both those teams are good. Um, Iowa State. Like, we would have probably beaten them once within two days. First of all, <laughs> the most concerning thing about that stretch is the fact that you scored 64 points against Iowa State 
uh, in Ames. That, that defense began with 100 points to, to, to the little, little sisters of the poor out here, giving up uh, 64 points to Kansas in the game. Kansas, and that game was relatively close, pretty deep into the second half. So anytime you're going to go Kansas State, Iowa State, Iowa State, and Kansas State as four of your five wins in a six-game stretch, you basically won one of two as far as I'm concerned because if you were to lose any of those games, you're now on the bubble in the NCAA tournament picture. So I, I don't. you're trying to sound positive about a Kansas team that beat Kansas State that's going to have beat Kansas State well, twice. we dog Kansas, we dog State Kansas twice. for most of the year. That's why. Yes, you, that does not mean you should positively talk about them because they got blown out in Morgantown. And beat Kansas State twice. And they Iowa were not State blown twice. out in Morgantown. That, they lost by West, 12 and gave up 91 points. West Virginia had that game, like, had, had took control of that game. But at no point in time was it a blowout. That's not that's not a right characterization of the game. Yeah, but here's what we have to, here's what they have to say, Corbett. Right now, in the conference, who is in third place? The Jayhawks are. So well, I, that's what happens now, when you play okay, Kansas now, State, now, State, now, Iowa State. Oh, now, hold, hold on, hold on. They've got three excellent opportunities to show me something in the stretch, Kansas uh, against Texas Tech. You have a chance to sweep Texas Tech. Texas has not been playing their best basketball rate lately. You've got a chance there. And then Baylor, I just want to see you be competitive. So they have an opportunity to show us they've built something here. Do they not? Yes, obviously they have the opportunity. I would say, all I say here is just pay attention. Done. Pay attention. Then moving forward. Yes, pay attention to Kansas, but. Uh, celebrating what they have done will be a, a miscarriage of, of, of Big 12 justice at this point. This <laughs> All right, let's move on here. So also in the conference uh, this weekend, TCU and Texas. But I, I was concerned, Corbett, about this game for Texas. I thought TCU had a little bit of momentum going into this contest, and I thought, hey, this could be an opportunity for TCU to, to bring things you know, down to the wire at least. Texas took a huge step forward, 70-55 win, because they've looked really shaky since their COVID pause. But they're able to go uh, in this game and win 70-55. Their defense showed up in a big way, and uh, that's why I thought was important. Four of their five starters go into double-figure scoring-wise. Jones leads the way with 19 points and four rebounds. They also get 15 from Matt Coleman on a 6 of 8 shooting night from the floor. Jericho Sims gives them 11 and 8 on four of five shooting. This is more of what we're accustomed to from Texas. They shoot 50% from the floor, despite shooting 29% from deep. And also they, they held TCU to a 37% shooting clip from the floor. So a really good performance from Texas, especially on the defensive end. And this was the kind of need they went uh, when they needed against a TCU team that felt like they were surging just a bit. Texas take cares of business, takes care of business and I think gets a crucial win so they can now kind of turn their attention towards getting back to themselves. Well, when Matt Coleman and, and Andrew Jones go combined uh, 15 of 24 from the field, that is a winning formula uh, for the Texas Longhorns. They kind of, I played a little bit of TCU live plus 13 and a half of this game at halftime. Um, it didn't end up working out. You know, they lost by 15, but I felt like, like, like TCU was either going to get blown out or they were going to win this game. I uh, ended up being, um, the blown out Texas kind of lucked into playing a TCU team. You said they're hot. They, they, they were hot earlier in the season, but I mean, they just coming off, you know, squeaking by Iowa state uh, before that they did have a win over Oklahoma state, but overall they have been on a, on a downward trend, kind of schedule based downward trend, just the teams they've been playing. And then they have that double overtime loss against um, Missouri. They came out, they played tough in this game, but Texas pulled away late. Texas's guards, Look good. I think Texas is a lot like Oklahoma. We kind of know the formula of the teams they're going to struggle against, and that's teams with long guards who can play defense and not let your guards get up good shots. Texas doesn't really have a, 
you know, a, a stout three point offense to fall back on. So if their guards can't exactly penetrate, it's going to be, it's going to be a struggle for them as it has been at different points throughout the season. Uh, it's good to get back on the win column out of the COVID layoff and Texas's guards played as well today, as well on Saturday as they had in a, in a quite a while. I, I'm shocked if smart's got to feel good about uh, the way his team looked on Saturday. One more pause for the cause on the show today. The show is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting, best for you protein bar out there in the game. Today, they've got 18 awesome flavors, all of them chocolate. The original 12, they've got six with nut, six without nut. There's really something for everybody. They also have their Built Boost and their Built Go. You guys can find all of these things at BuiltBar.com. Go to BuiltBar.com today. You have a chance to win a free cooler with your purchase. Also use that promo code Locked On. That's L O C K E D O N Locked On, and you'll get twenty percent off on your next order. Once again, promo code Locked On for twenty percent off at BuiltBar.com. All right, now back to my conversation with Corbett Koslak. Yeah, he does, and, and we've got a new AP poll, Corbett, coming out right as we are doing the show right now. Your Oklahoma State Cowboys are have been dropped out of the rankings. KU has come back in now at fifteen and seven. They're number twenty-three. Uh, also in the rankings from the Big 12 Conference, Texas Tech is at 15. West Virginia is at uh, 13. Texas is at 12. Oklahoma is at number nine. Then Baylor, of course, is at number one. So still a plethora of Big 12 teams in your top 25 as we speak uh, at the moment. Okay. Also Saturday, Oklahoma State, they were up on Kansas State. This game ended up being a seven-point game in the end, but Oklahoma State, it was a misleading seven-point win. They were up in this game the entire way. And look, Kansas State, to their credit, has become a bit more frisky as of late. But Kate Cunningham in this game, 14 points, uh, 15 points, rather, five assists, four rebounds. Uh, they get 10 points from Williams and 10 points from Walker. They're trying to find a way to have more balanced scoring. They actually shot a three-pointer a bit better in this game, 36% from the floor. Then you get to the line more. For them, the key to me is driving the basketball inside and trying to move the ball around. But uh, Oklahoma State, you know, I feel like that's a team that at this point in time, I'm really comfortable saying that they're not going to make it out of the first weekend. It's kind of how I feel. Like that's an NCAA tournament team, but to me, it's going to take, in, in, in a lot of circumstances, there's not a whole lot of teams I pick them against, especially in the round of 32, I think. Yeah, they're going to end up in that 7 10 game and then probably end up losing to a two seed if they, if they, if they win that first game. Um, what they do have going for them is that they, they have a player capable of taking over uh, an NCAA tournament game. We haven't necessarily seen it uh, consistently this season out of Cade Cunningham. He, he's been excellent, but as far as just taking over games at will, right. um, we haven't necessarily seen that that, that ability. But um, you assume it's in there anytime a guy's going to be a number one overall pick uh, or at least, you know, top two or three pick in the draft. You assume that, that they are capable of taking over a game. But yes, Oklahoma State's a textbook, you know, 7-10, 8-9. Uh, game kind of guy where they end up lo- or team where they end up losing. I'm worried about the, ton- uh, the, the Cade's turnovers. The Cade's turnovers is what concerns me, right? You look at the last five games he's played: four, four, six, seven, five. Um, if they want to win an NCAA tournament game, they can't have one guy turning the ball over that much and, and giving extra possessions over to what we assume are going to be good NCAA tournament teams, right? That, that seems to be an issue that I'm having with with, with Oklahoma State right now and Cade, Cade Cunningham's play. And they only really go, I mean, serious minutes-wise, like seven deep. So, right. I mean, they have guys playing eight, like, you know, uh, one of the Boone brothers playing seven minutes, Kuma playing eight minutes. But uh, they only really go seven deep. They get in foul trouble against one of those better teams, and it's going to be a problem. They're very long defensively, but like they're not, like you said, they're not very big. Um, so, so rebounding might be an issue against one of those good teams if they fall into that 2-7 uh, or 1-8 game. 
uh, in the second round. So Oklahoma State, uh, well, all in all, uh, is going to end up being, you know, a positive season um, for Oklahoma State because it feels like it's been an eternity since they were in the tournament. I think Marcus Smart was the last Oklahoma State tournament team. Um, so it's going to be, uh, a, a, you know, all in all, a successful season as far as making the tournament goes. It's not like it's championship or bust, but I don't, I don't see a very high ceiling for them uh, once they do get there. Yeah, and then once again, Baylor's game this weekend was canceled. And so Baylor's on a stretch where, <clears throat> excuse me, they had OU, Texas Tech, West Virginia, all those games postponed. Um, and we'll see what happens. What I don't want to see, Corbett, is the conference forcing them to play a bunch of games in a short period of time. Because let's be honest, we've watched Baylor play this year. We know they're one of the two best teams in the country. I'm curious about how they're going to look when they come back from a COVID break. But also, one way that they could be hurt is if they're saddled with a bunch of games they have to play before a conference tournament they have to play. I don't want to see that, right? I've already seen what I need to see out of Baylor. I don't want the conference to do anything to compromise their best shot at winning a championship this season. Well, Baylor's in a position where uh, <clears throat> unless they enter free fall, they're going to end up a one seed. So it's not necessarily like in college football where – you know, Ohio State canceled games because there was no reason to play them because they would have gone to the college football playoff regardless. And, you know, it worked out in that aspect. Um, what really boils down to for Baylor is how much they care about going undefeated in the regular season, which I'm assuming uh, is a lot. It hasn't been done since 1970-something Indiana going completely undefeated throughout the season. We have two teams that have a chance to do it right now, not including, like, Winthrop or whoever the other undefeated team is right now in the country. lost. I don't know, but you're right. Go ahead. Um, but, out, I mean, Baylor – and and Gonzaga have both realistic chances at doing it. Gonzaga, in all likelihood, is going to be undefeated entering the entering the NCAA tournament. Baylor might not be if they if they get an unlucky break in the Big Twelve tournament or something doesn't work their way, as you said at the end of the regular season. But I don't think making them play a bunch of games is necessarily a negative. Maybe gets them back into the groove. I think the negative aspect of it would be in the fact that they could potentially lose one of those games and not be undefeated getting into the tournament. But I don't think playing a bunch of games is going to be a big issue for them. It just kind of boils down to how much they really want to be, how much they really want to be um, undefeated at the end of the regular season. And they're going to be a one seed pretty much regardless. And knowing how the NCAA tournament likes to, likes to or the selection committee likes to schedule those games and, and format the bracket, they're probably going to be on the opposite um, side of Gonzaga to, to set up what is obviously the two best teams in the country going to the national championship game. So it'll be interesting to see, but I don't think Baylor's really in in a, in a spot that they're they're nervous about having to play a lot of games. Yeah, what I'm most nervous about for them is how their players look because I think Brady Manick and to some extent Cade Cunningham are great examples of guys who at times look like they're still getting back. We saw it across the NFL, like Cam Newton, clearly not the same player when he came back from COVID and, and there's obviously a, did he have many... COVID in 2018? Cause he hasn't been the same player. <laughs> well, he looked good early in the season's my point. And I think, you know, it does affect different guys differently. And also, especially in a sport that, that demands so much from a cardio standpoint, it's just pretty clear how much it can affect you. So we'll see. Um, and I hope those guys are all getting healthy and all getting better because when that team is right, they're obviously the best to watch. All right, Corbett, we appreciate your time today. Where can people find you on the social medias? Uh, on Twitter, it's at Corbett underscore Coastlack on Twitter. All right. Thank you, Corbett. Appreciate your time, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right. That will do it for the show today. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at LOBay12. Follow me at Josh Neighbors. Until next time, my friends, please stay safe.